Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Goalie Ashwa Gummies. You can find them at goalie.com. Use promo code the Show Up That Foundation to get 10% off your order. Zenderance Active Wellness and Sports Nutrition. Their products are designed to maximize your health. As Zenderance, they strive to support and have a positive impact on the wellness of every hardworking dad. Use my code, the show up dad, and get 10% off your next purchase. For more info, go to www.zenderance.com. Tall Man Equipment, standing taller than the rest of the competition in Lyman Tools since 1952. Give them a follow at www.tallmanequipment.com. And last but not least, Adam Lane Smith. He is an attachment specialist who helps people to heal, connect, and build. Use my promo code SHOW, spelled S-H-O-W, for a 50% discount on his attachment boot camp course. Thank you. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This podcast was created for hardworking fathers. And at the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today's guest is Sergeant Greg Fisher. Greg is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran that served three combat deployments in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. As a Marine, he led and took part in combat and humanitarian missions. Greg was honorably discharged at the rank of Sergeant in 2006. He is also known as the co-founder of Burn Pit Barbecue, where he shares grilling and barbecuing tips. He is a certified ECHO and neuroleadership brain-based professional coach. Among his many endeavors, Greg has been married for 15 years and has three boys. Welcome to our show, brother. What's going on, Dave? I appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. Well, like always, I want to start off by you telling us a little bit about your upbringing, your family of origin, and what it was like growing up, brother, if you don't mind. Yeah, I know. I'd be happy to share a little bit more about my background. So, um, yeah, I was born and raised here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, just just outside of Milwaukee. And uh, my parents split while I was pretty young. So they they got uh, married right out of high school, so very young, and had three kids kind of back to back to back. Um, so I could only imagine how much stress that put on the relationship. But uh, so they, they split up uh, early on, um, you know, kind of almost before I could remember, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, they both kind of went their several ways. But, you know, they were both in, you know, both raised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, my mom eventually remarried um, and brought uh, another male figure into my life. And then uh, my dad eventually remarried as well. So I had another you know mother figure in my life, too. So. I guess the, the best thing about that is that I had more more positive influence around me uh, pretty much my entire life. And that had a huge effect on how I, I was raised and how I was, you know, how I choose to, to raise my kids. Mm. 
For sure. Definitely. Yeah. It seems like you would be more well-rounded, I guess, you know what I mean? Having two dads and two moms and stuff like that. Um, There's a, a great book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he talks about how the differences between his two fathers, you know what I mean? Uh, could you share with us the differences you saw between your stepdad and your biological dad, if you don't mind? Um, yeah, I mean, both, um, you know, both had their very you know, unique and, and strengths and, and and things like that. So, you know, my, my biological father, my dad, um, you know, I only got to see him every other weekend and, you know, once a week. So mm-hmm. I actually spent probably a lot more time with my stepfather. Um, so my dad, very quiet, reserved, introvert, you know, truck driver, um, you know, doing what he need, needed to do to provide financially for us, even though he couldn't be there with us. Uh, and then my you know, my stepfather, who was kind of more quiet, reserved. Um, I think what I appreciated the most about him was that he didn't try and force himself upon, you know, he didn't try and force the relationship because uh, I was still seven or eight years old uh, when mm-hmm. he started coming into the picture. Uh, and he kind of gave me the distance and the space to kind of feel that relationship out. So I, I think from that perspective, um, that, that really kind of um, opened the door for me to be kind of who I was and not expecting to, to have a, a relationship if I, if I didn't want it. Right. So mm-hmm. um, they both had unique uh, strengths that I, I continue to pull on, you know, now um, as I, I raise my kids. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I had both of those examples to kind of learn from. I'm glad that you said that and you pointed that out, Greg, about your stepdad giving you the space in that relationship. Right. Um, I think that's important, especially in blended families. We all know blended families are super, super, I mean, they, they got a lot of different moving parts, right? Right. So I, I'm glad that you pointed that out, that he gave you that space to accept him instead of forcing himself. You know what I'm saying? That's that's really awesome. And for you guys listening, um, that's a dad pro tip right there, man, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I didn't like until I became a father, I, I didn't recognize or understand that, like how he was kind of leading um, mm-hmm. through me through that transition. Um, now, now that I have my own kids and, you know, I, I see kind of the relationship that we have, it, it made me kind of appreciate, you know, how he approached it even more. Mm-hmm. So let's skip forward. So you got this dynamic going on. Were you athletic as a child? Did you like sports? Like what? Like, yeah. So, you know, I, I was, I was a middle child. So, mm-hmm. um, for my mom's, my mom and dad, my biological dad had three kids. I was the middle one. Um, my younger brother was born with, um, um, mental deficiencies. So he had special needs. Um, so when my mom got remarried, um, my, my stepdad brought two sons into the picture as well. So now we had this huge blended family where I was kind of still directly in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, for me, I was very athletic. I, you know, I, I gravitated towards sports. I gravitated towards kind of, I guess you could say, like that that male mentorship uh, of my coaches and, and um, you know the camaraderie of my teammates um, because that's kind of where I you know I felt like I fit in the most because um, my my family life was stable but still really chaotic because you're blending these two families and then plus with my younger brother having special needs, um, you know I was kind of on my own, so to speak, in a way that, you know, I could find myself in sports and, and being around other, you know, guys and, and men. Mm. That's crazy. Cause I, I see the same thing, even with my home, my parents, you know, I didn't come from a, a blended family, Greg, but uh, I did come from a home that was kind of chaotic. You know, I mean, they did the best they could 
I was the middle child myself, and I found myself as well gravitor- uh, gravitating towards uh, male mentors, uh, sports figures, and stuff like that. You know, wrestling, football, etc. So I think that that's that's interesting that you said that for sure. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people I talk with as well is kind of like find themselves in a similar position um, mm-hmm. where even though like they have, you know, the, the relationships with the parents, but they just, they have an outside mentor or some other kind of male figure that um, really helped continue to guide and raise them throughout their youth. Um, and, and I found that through sports and a number of different, you know, men stepped up um, coaches, you know, people that I knew um, that continue uncles, you know, my uncles were, had a great influence on me uh, on both sides of my family. So uh, I was very fortunate to have that growing up. Mm-hmm. I had a, a guy that I listened to, Michael Gurian from the Spokane Institute, he talked about how boys need structure. And it's safe to say that through sports, that's why we gravitate towards that as, as boys, right? Because, you know, we have this chaotic household and then we find structure and stability in sports, right? Because, you know, it's, it's planned. It's, you know, they're watching you. You got positions and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting how little boys need that and they gravitate towards that, you know? Yeah. And and I can see with, you know, my three sons right now, which, you mm-hmm. know, I, I coach some of them, but they have great coaches as well that, you know, it's not me, um, but it's other men in the community that are, are helping to raise these, these young boys and give them structure and, and guidance and discipline. Mm-hmm. So talking about coaching now, Greg, what do you think about those fathers that, you know, armchair quarterback, they're sitting on the sidelines, they're, they're stepping in there. I mean, I, I get it. It's good to be involved, but at what mm-hmm. point in time do you got to say, all right, he is the coach, right? Yeah. What do you, what do you think about those, those fathers on the sidelines that are just like, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting that you, cause I, I, I talk about this a lot with some of, you know, my friends who are men who mm-hmm. have competed at high levels. So I, I played college soccer at the D2 level, you know, I've, I've, I've been a high level athlete my entire life. So I've been around great coaches. And um, I guess for me, I take the the perspective of, you know, if, if I want to coach my kid or if I want to give feedback, um, I'll be the coach, you know, or I'll do that in private, you know, one-on-one with him um, away from the field, away from the coach. Uh, so I can show that respect because I know it's a hard, it's a hard deal for somebody to raise their hand and volunteer to coach. Um, a lot of times without getting paid, um, they're putting in their own personal time and effort. Um, so I want to respect that as much as possible. And um, for the most part, I've seen people do that as well. I'll, I'll say baseball, you know, youth baseball is, is yeah. pretty, uh, pretty crazy with the parents and you know yelling at umpires and stuff like that. And even the coaches. Um, so I'll have to remind people, hey, calm down. This is a game. You know, these kids are you know, 10, 11, 12. Nobody here is going on in the major leagues right now. Um, so, uh, I, I think it's bit you know, people who, who have experienced high level competitive, um, you know, been in that high, le- high level competitive space mm-hmm. tend to back off a little bit more when their kids are playing, um, as opposed to maybe that somebody has, who hasn't played at a high level, they expect a lot more out of their kids at such a young age. Mm-hmm. At least that's my perspective and how I see it. Um, but, uh, I'll say that there are, there are some times where maybe I, I get a little heated or, you know, but my wife is there and she tends to even me out just a little bit. Mm, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, I never competed at a high, high level like that, like division one or anything like that. But uh, I have had a lot of friends in wrestling and stuff like that. Uh, me, fortunately, 
me and my younger brother, we were put on every single wrestling team. We're on a traveling wrestling team. We went all over the country, John Smith, Kenny Monday's wrestling camps and stuff like that. Right. So we went all over the place and uh, I definitely see that you can burn your kids out Mm -hmm. for sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And hindsight 2020 looking back, you know, um, I've seen a lot of coaches where like, I, I, I remember I, I lost this one kid, right? I scored points on him though. And that was never supposed to happen. This kid went on to win four times state champion. Well, I went outside and I changed my singlet. Right. And when I walked out, this dad had this kid by the shoulders and was just socking him, you know, because he had had me score points on him. Oh, geez. You know, and I made eye contact with that father and he looked at me and he looked at me like, you get back inside. And I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? Mm. And I, I just still remember that kid's face, you know what I mean? Just mm. the devastation, you know, he did a great job, but it wasn't good enough, you know? And Right. I, yeah. I, I think when you put that much stress on your kids, it takes all the fun out of it and you, you cause serious damage. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we're seeing it now. Um all over the place is burnt, you know, kids being burnt out before they even get to college. Because, you know, I know when I was growing up, I got to experience sports, you know, in their season. So, you know, flag football, you know, basketball, then you go into baseball and then, you know, summer's soccer, you have time off. So you got to experience a lot of different sports and activities. Um, And then kind of once you got into the teenage age, you got, Mm -hmm. you kind of picked what you wanted to focus on. Right. But you had a background of all these sports well, nowadays, you know, I get to see it firsthand, right? Raising three boys is all these sports go year round now. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the, the whole, you know, picking a sport, picking one position in that sport and just doing that until 18, hoping to get a college scholarship or go play sports pro, you know, the opportunity to do that is slim to none. And then you, by the time you get to that age where you can continue to play in college, you know, the kids don't want to do it. They're just burnt out and, and then they stop playing and then, you know, they don't put their kids into it because they don't want to go through that experience that, you know, maybe they were put through. Um, so I see it all, all the time now. It's, it's totally a different environment. And as a father, I think it's our job to take a step back and, you know, really develop our kids mm. in a way that makes them more well-rounded, not just, hey, I play this one position in this one sport and that's all I do. Well, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody on the field goes down in another position or, a perfect example is, you know, playing soccer, you play club soccer, maybe one position, and then you go to your local high school. Well, if you're a good soccer player, you might be asked to play different positions because, you know, you're pulling kids from all all, all different areas. Uh, so you might yeah. be asked to play a different position, step up to be a leader. And uh, if all you want to do is do that one thing, you're not really well-rounded. You're not ready to step up to be a leader. So, and, you know, we're talking sports here, but that has an impact on how you lead and, uh, what you do after sports. So I'm a huge proponent of letting kids kind of try a lot of different things. And then I'm um, letting them kind of tell us, you know, this is what I enjoy doing. This is what I want to pursue and then helping them do that. Yeah, definitely. As fathers, our job is to help them navigate life. Right. And when you're teaching them to put all their eggs in one basket, if that doesn't happen, we're setting them up for major failure, dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. So I, I like that concept of having them being well-rounded. It's uh, it, it is really interesting though to see that mm. you know. I think a lot of times fathers are trying to live vicariously to their mm. kids, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe 
they saw that their kids have a lot of potential. So they really, really want to push them because they see that their kids have, have more potential than they did. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think necessarily they go out there to, to really ruin their children. I just think that they just don't know how, you know, they, I don't think that they don't know how to love their kids. I think that they just need to love on their kids. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes total sense. You know, I think the, the push to, you know, help their kids become great is out of a place of love. Yeah. Um, But maybe sometimes it's misconstrued or, you know, maybe it comes from, again, you, like you mentioned, maybe it's a little bit of ego. Like Mm -hmm. if I had somebody push me, you know, hard, harder when I was a kid, maybe I would have done, you know, better in this sport and went on to do this thing. Um, But yeah, I definitely agree with you that, you know, you know, especially in the sports realm, you know, allowing yeah. kids the space and opportunity to fail, make mistakes, you know, that's the only way they're going to learn. And if we're constantly berating them or putting them through that, um, like, to, like the example you shared of, you know, physically actually hitting them. Um, yeah. I don't know how well that does from a mental perspective as well. No, for sure. For sure. So we talked about sports, Greg, and you said you mentioned something about being a division two level soccer player. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So you, you went to that level, right? You played soccer. How did you go from there to going into the Marines? Like, what was that? Like, uh, yeah, I was actually vice versa. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, I, yeah, I played, you know, I played soccer pretty much my entire life through high school okay. and then, um, had some offers to go play D one college here in, in the state of Wisconsin. And around the same time, you know, September 11th happened when I was in you know, a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, my story is I felt a call to serve at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I went into the military Marine Corps. Um, I still kept in contact with the coaches and in, in the area and stuff like that, just to make my presence, you know, still felt because I still had dreams of playing, you know, college soccer when I came back home. Um, and then four years later, got out of the Marine Corps, came back home and was fortunate that, you know, a local D- division two college here in the state, you know, took a flyer on me and let me walk on. And, uh, you know, then I just started training, training my butt off for the next, you know, six months to a year while they redshirted me and then, um, made the team and continued to play for the next few years. Mm, Wow. That's an interesting story, brother, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So you got out, so you went in 2001, right? And you Uh, got out. 2000. Yeah. Yeah. 2002 was when I graduated high school and I had already signed up. I was okay. you know, halfway through my senior year when I said, Hey, I'm going to join the Marines, sign the papers. And then when I graduated high school, you know, that summer I was off to basic training. Mm-hmm. And you went to Camp Pendleton or, or, or yeah, uh, yeah. MCRD. Okay. Yeah. Uh, San Diego. Yep. San Diego. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you went in then you got out in 06. How was that transition like? from military to civilian. Like I know a lot of people, even myself included had a hard time transitioning. So what was it like for you? Yeah. I mean, I'd say it wasn't easy, but some things looking back on what made my transition, maybe a little bit more smoother or, um, you know, less challenging than maybe some of other, other people that I know of, um, is really, you got, you got to start planning for that transition as soon as you get in. Um, Mm -hmm. so by, by nature, for whatever reason, I was a very good saver. So, you know, when I get those paychecks in the military, I was putting money away to the side. I wasn't spending it. I was investing Mm -hmm. in, you know, bonds and things like that. 
um, that they allow you to do. Um, not too many people know about it, but you can automatically deduct money and put it in the bonds, you know, from your paycheck. Um, so I started doing that right away out of boot camp. So I was consistently saving. So, but I knew I wanted to get out. I had money saved up, so I wasn't going to be scrambling for a job. Mm. That helped with my transition. Uh, but then also I had goals set already before I got out, got out. So six months prior to me leaving the Marine Corps and coming back home because I knew I was transitioning out. Um, I had already, you know, looked at apartments. I already had a goal set where I wanted to live. And then I was already talking to those coaches that I had relationships with saying, Hey, I'm coming back home. Uh, I'd like to continue to play soccer. Do you know of any teams or any you know coaches that would give me a chance? Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest thing is having a goal, having some money saved up and then having relationships that I could you know, lean on um, mm -hmm. that uh, could help me out and get me, you know, get me back on my feet quicker Mm -hmm. Um, then maybe if I didn't have any of those things, I'd be scrambling when I, when I got out, um, because mm -hmm. a lot of veterans, that's what they have to do is they live paycheck to paycheck in the military. They get out, they don't have a job lined up. They don't have a living situations lined up. So, um, all those things helped me a, a little bit with my transition. Yeah, for sure. I have to lean on family myself. Um, I see that though with a lot of veterans, especially coming into our apprenticeship and stuff like that, is that they the reason why they they go into trades like the line trade and stuff is because they see that camaraderie, mm -hmm. and a lot of veterans that I've seen when they they have a purpose in the military, right? They have that camaraderie. Uh, men send or tend to bond better through, I believe it's called a. Uh, vasopressant bonding, which means that if you have a goal, a common purpose, that's why you're going to bond. And that's where you feel safe at and you feel connected with. Right. So yeah. that's like a pro tip for our wives. If you want to bond with your husband, finish a project with them. They will right. absolutely love you for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back to what I was go getting at is, yeah. So you got this, this, this bonding that you do in the, in the military, you have this goal, you have this purpose per se, and then when you get out, a lot of them don't have a purpose, mm -hmm. you know, and I think yeah. that's where we're seeing a lot of uh, suicides, you know, mm -hmm. for lack of purpose and stuff. And it's it's really heartbreaking. It really is. You know, I know I went through that for a little bit until I got with my older sister, which I give credit for. She helped me out a lot, man. She helped me get an apartment. She helped me really transition into to working again, you know, because in the military, you have a job, you know, I worked out, I, I read a lot. I, I did a, a bunch of different stuff, you know what I mean? But I didn't have a goal like you. I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of drinking for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll say like, looking back at it now, getting around a team again, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. having a, a common purpose being around like other men. Mm -hmm. uh, now <laughs> I was a freshman, but I was the oldest one on the team. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to, you know, go, go through that dynamic, but, um, we had, a, you know, I was training two to three times a day. Now I was mm. with these men again, we had a purpose, you know, you know, be the best player, be the best team that we could be. Um, all the while I was continually, uh, continuing to learn how to live in the civilian world again, because uh, for me, my, my time in the Marine Corps was a very heavy combat. So I was mm -hmm. deployed, you know, I, I was part of the invasion from, you know, Kuwait to Baghdad, um, during that piece, Mm -hmm. And then I made two two additional deployments to to Iraq during combat um, as an infantryman. So 
you know, I, I, I'd seen combat or trained for combat for almost four years every single day. And then I get out and now I'm kind of on my own uh, with my own thoughts, you know, my own kind of direction. And, and, you know, my transition was probably easier than most because I planned ahead a little bit more, but at the same time, I was still going through a lot of that, you know, you know, what's my next purpose as a person, as an individual, you know, what did I just go through? How do I decompress and debrief all the death, destruction, near death that I experienced, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm still processing through that 20 years later. Um, So it's, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Uh, It continues to happen as you evolve as a person, but um, if you if you don't do the internal work on yourself, uh, you'll never get to that that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, for sure. Yeah, you got to put in that work, um, and it it doesn't happen overnight for sure. Um, so once I just want to say thank you for your service, bro. I mean yeah. that is awesome, dude. Here at the Show Up Death Foundation, we uh, you know we strive to just really honor our veterans, you know, and we just want to thank you for your service first and foremost, Greg. Yeah. I mean, it was my pleasure. Um, you know, I, my, I felt it was my calling because of, you know, my grandpa and his generation went through Pearl Harbor and, mm-hmm. you know, that was their calling. And then, you know, Vietnam. And then this, this, this seemed like, okay, this is lining up. I need to take this step. So it was my pleasure to serve my country. So you're three generations into the military serving. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So my, my, both of my grandfathers served well during Korea um, okay. and then, you know, relationships with you know other people, you know, World War II, Vietnam, that kind of stuff. I got you. I got you. Now, were they Marines as well or? Uh, no, no. Um, so no. Uh, my, my one grandfather, uh, my, my mom's side. So um, he served in the Coast Guard uh-huh. and then, um, my grandfather on my dad's side, he was in the army. In the army. Okay, cool. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank you once again, like I said, for your service, brother. I want to kind of change speed here, Greg, and and go yeah. into this uh this 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 burn pit barbecue. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that, brother. And how'd you got into yeah, that? So yeah, so part of my transition from the military civilian, like I found barbecue as therapeutic for me. (laughs) So, um, you know, a lot of people have, you know, certain things, you know, fitness, you know, music, art for me, it was the art of barbecue. Um, so, you know, in the backyard, I was learning how to barbecue and, you know, work through some stuff and, uh, all along that same time, I was working my way up the corporate ladder. So, you know, got back from the Marine Corps, went to school, got my degree. And then I started working for a large organization here uh, in Wisconsin. And as I was working there, I was like, okay, I need to find something to do to, to help with, you know, these thoughts and things. So barbecue was a thing. And then 10 years later, I look back and, you know, I'm still at the same organization, but I'm miserable Mm -hmm. uh, because I I was doing things I thought I was supposed to be doing and not really what I wanted to do. Um, and you know, I, I the pandemic hit. I was sitting be behind a desk at a computer all day at my house. I was like, why don't I just do something for myself? Because I'm miserable here. Um, so I quit. I quit my job and I started Burn Pit Barbecue um, with a buddy of mine, and uh, we've been going ever since. And that that was uh, uh, July of 2020. It's crazy that in 2020 there were so many different transitions. I mean, I've talked to so many people. And either 2020 broke you or it made you, you know what I mean? It, it, it's crazy that that shaking happened. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times what people thought they had their trust in 
was felt a shambles you know what i mean so yeah 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 for me it was you know i was working for a great organization you know from the outside everything looked great but internally mm -hmm. i was just a mess i was a mess i you know I was drinking heavily. Um, I was depressed, anxiety, because, you know, working in, in a corporate environment like that, mm -hmm. it's just high pressure. It's constant. And for what, you know, for some money. And, and honestly, you know, at the end of the day, my relationship with my family, with my wife was a lot more important than just making some money to hopefully be able to retire at the age of 65 um, and, you know, live off of, you know, those scraps for, you know, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I took that time to do some internal reflection and had some honest conversations with my spouse and was just like, Hey, it's, it's, it's time for me to, to move on transition again and do something for myself to see if I can make something for myself work. It's good to see that you saw that, you know, that you recognize that and you saw that it was causing devastation in your family. I think a lot of times men get caught up in the provider role mm -hmm. and they don't see that they're causing their family damage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it's good to see that you made that change. It's not easy. It's not. It's not. No, it's like that conversation with my wife was like one of the hardest I've ever had because I had to basically say, hey, I, I can't do this anymore because I feel terrible. And when you do that, you're, you're vulnerable. You mm -hmm. don't know like what the reaction is going to be. Um, but like I mentioned before, that only comes after a lot of personal growth and development on myself. Like yeah. that, I didn't just come to a breaking point. Like I, I developed skills and techniques and tactics since coming out of the Marine Corps to be able to, to be that person that I could go to somebody and have an open, vulnerable conversation uh, mm -hmm. and not keep that in and just, you know, take that with me to my grave. Um, like I had to do the personal work to be comfortable, to be able to have that type of conversation, mm -hmm. not only with myself, but with somebody else. For sure. Yeah, definitely a lot of trust there. Um, and it takes also you guys having a relationship that's based on solidness, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. you know, cause being able to come to someone that you trust and, and just dump and being, you know what I mean? For them to be able to be empathetic towards us, you know, when we pour out our hearts to them, that's not easy at all. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad to see that your wife created a safe space for you, mm -hmm. but that probably took work as well. I mean, building mm -hmm. up through your relationship. It just didn't happen overnight. It's not something you do to somebody who you're in your first year of marriage. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she had been with me since, you know, the Marine Corps. So she has been through all of those transitions with me and she's mm -hmm. been probably the reason I'm still here is like, she's been that, that person I can talk to and mm -hmm. uh, give me ideas, but at the same time, hold me accountable to, you know, being a man and provider and, and, you know, being a father. Um, so yeah, we do have that relationship. It takes a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of getting to know each other again, especially once you've been out, you know, you know you've been on deployment, you've been away from, you know, your family for, you know, months on end and then you come back and, um, you kind of like strangers again, you have to get to know each other. Um, so that, that takes a lot of work and, you know, we're 20, you know, as, as a couple, we're about 20 years in and mm -hmm. we're still, we're still learning about each other. We're still learning how to be, you know, husband, wife, you know, uh, together raising a family. So it, it never ends. No, for sure. And it definitely takes resources and, and researching on your own, how to, to develop that uh, relationship back. Um, 
we teamed up with the National Father Initiative and we got some resources for transitioning fathers from the military, you know what I mean, when they've been on deployment and also fathers who have been estranged from their kids, you know, whether it be through divorce or working out of town all the time and how to really gain back those relationships with our children yeah. and our spouse, you know, and I think those are mm -hmm. great resources that we didn't have in the past. Mm -hmm. And now we're being able to, to share through our foundation to men and women who are listening to our podcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. Having those resources available to help people through that transition. I mean, that, that'll help so many families. You know, I, I'm thankful that you guys are doing that. Yeah, for sure. So what sparked your interest in neuro leadership? And am I saying that correctly? Echo? ECHO? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Echo. Yep. So um, yeah. So the part of my time in the corporate environment was, you know, I was a leader, a manager, as well as I was helping develop other leaders. Mm -hmm. um, so those are just two courses and certificates that I found like were very beneficial to not only an organization, but how to lead and coach other people. Mm -hmm. So the ECHO, uh, which stands for Effective Communication Among Healthy Organizations, is really that that piece where as a leader, uh, and not only in a corporate environment, but as a leader of maybe a family or a leader of a community, um, that you know how to effectively communicate with people to get you know ideas and thoughts across. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that you understand how people receive information so that you give it to them in a way that they'll be able to process it, how they process it. Um, and then also internally, you know, how do I like to receive information? If I know how I like to receive information, I can communicate that to somebody. So when they're communicating with me, they mm. know how to give me information that I'm going to be able to understand and internalize a lot quicker than maybe most would do. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, can, and communication is one of the biggest things I see, whether it be communicating with your spouse or communicating with your children. You know, everybody has a different level of how we communicate with them. Um, you definitely aren't going to communicate with your children as you would your spouse, right? right so yeah. you have to kind of format it and change mm -hmm. it at their level that they can perceive it. So I think that's a, a, a big thing that you're doing there for sure. Yeah. So like um, examples would be like, you know, a lot of times in a meeting, you might have somebody that's introverted that, you know, doesn't participate or, you know, maybe doesn't raise their hand. Well, they might be, you know, internalizing that information before they, you know, are willing to provide, you know, their suggestions or their thoughts, or, you know, they might take time to go back to their desk and then write up a, you know, a really thoughtful, you know, email where, where you thought they weren't even paying attention because they didn't participate. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding like that dynamic in a workspace or even in, you know, a relationship within your family is is huge. And the same with like the visionaries that are always like the dreamers that have the big ideas. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they they don't articulate the steps that they got to get there. Right. So understanding how they think and, you know, they see the big picture. But, uh, OK, now let's talk. How do we get to that? Pro you know, how do we get to that big picture? What's the process? So. Um, you know, th those are just a, a couple ways that understanding how people communicate and how they think can help, um, really help coach and lead teams effectively. So there's not a lot of miscommunication going on. Like what you said, Greg, about how, if they don't understand how to communicate or they don't understand what they're going to say, and they have to really put thought process in it, that they have to leave and then write it down or, you know what I mean? Cause I, I know for me, that's what I have to do. 
Like a lot of times, even when I'm arguing with my wife or whatever, right? If I was just to say it out the way I was thinking it in my head, it would come off wrong. And that's not what I meant. And that's why she's like, you know, a lot of times she's like, oh, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know, you know, and then I got to think back. I got to go. I got to kind of isolate in a sense and think what I'm trying to say. That way I can communicate it better to her without mm -hmm. offending her. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So, yeah, no, that's that makes per perfect sense. And that happens a lot um, in relationships, you know, mm -hmm. in the the works the workplace, you know, that's where you get those kind of tension and uh, dynamics. It's not because people aren't trying their best. It's maybe because they don't understand how each person receives information. Um, so that's, that's part of what I help do is coach people to be able to understand um, how people receive information, but then also how people like to, you know, give information. So, mm -hmm. you know, people can come together and, and you know, have a, at least a working uh, environment where there's not a lot of tension and people kind of can communicate freely and understand um, that they might need to tailor their approach to certain individuals based off of how that individual, you know, thinks and, and communicates and vice versa. So uh, it's it's definitely a give and take. It's not just like, hey, I'm going mm -hmm. to tailor everything to you. It's more like, okay, you understand that how I give information as well. So now you can tailor your approach to how you ask me questions. Um, so uh, I hope that makes sense. That's kind of high yeah. level. Um, and we have assessments and things where people can actually take an assessment to find out more about how they how they receive information or how they like to receive it. So um, that, that's part of the process um, too, which is very enlightening, uh, especially mm -hmm. when teams go together. <laughs> yeah, Certain teams have like their own profiles. So, you know, if you have four or five people on a team, you all take the same assessment. You have individual um characteristics but as a team you have a characteristic so you know how you are perceived by other people on the outside can change as well oh yeah for sure and i think that's uh that's a big thing you know how other people or how you think other people perceive you mm -hmm. you know yeah. i i've seen people just completely sabotage relationships and everything based off of what they thought that person yeah. perceived of them you know yeah um super devastating uh, there's a great book by Trinity Jordan that talks about that. It's called Sabotage. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with it. I've heard about it, but I haven't had a chance to uh, dive into it. Yeah, he goes into there how people have this um, this way about them where they, they fall into this cycle. And because of their, their, the way they think and stuff like that, they literally will get into a position where it's really going good. But because of their mm. thought process, they will actually literally self-sabotage everything and they'll mm. wind up back in the same position they were in, you know? Yeah. Almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So brain development is the same as leadership development. You know what I mean? According to Dr. Paul McDonald, mm. how important is it for men to take care of their mental health and, and develop these skills. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the most important things is that, you know, we mm -hmm. continue to build, you know, our mental capacity. We learn more about ourselves, the personal development. A lot of time, you know, especially in the military, you know, we, we, we focus more on like the, the discipline, the physical mm -hmm. piece. Um, and uh, we don't focus necessarily as much on the mental piece um, but as men and, and and people, you know, in the community raising families, like we we can't expect other people to 
do this for us. We have to do it for ourselves. Um, so that takes initiative that that takes accountability on ourselves to to seek out resources, to get around other people that are continuing to level up and, and challenge themselves. Um, so, yeah, brain development, you know, the mental aspect, it never stops. It, it shouldn't stop until your last breath. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm glad I was able to come on here and, and, and talk with you a little bit more, David, is that, like, I think men need to continue to build their mental strengths and, and continue to develop mentally, personally, um, because nobody's going to do that for us. Mm -hmm. So how do you help others with these science-based concepts? What, what have you done through your coaching and stuff like that? Yeah, so the the neural leadership, the brain based uh, coaching, is actually a concept um, which is is kind of new, but it's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's really it's really coaching people through dilemmas or challenges that they might have, um, understanding that they already probably know the answer to that, like what they need to do, mm -hmm. um, and then helping them develop uh, milestones and guidelines to keep them on track. Uh, so the biggest thing that I've found, you know, coaching high level performers um, is that they know what they need to do deep down. Like if they have a goal set for themselves, mm -hmm. they know what they need to do. Uh, it's just now putting it down a plan of action to get to that place. Um, mm -hmm. So I help work with them to uh, understand, you know, why, it, you know, what is the motivation to get to this goal? Uh, but then also, you know, what do you need to do, you know, between now and then? Uh, to make sure that 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 gets accomplished. So it's a lot of questioning. It, it's a lot of leading them down a path where I've had people come to me with goals that after our first conversation, like that, that goal that they had, isn't their goal anymore, because there's a deeper understanding to what they wanted to do and accomplish. So it, it could happen just like that. But having somebody there to ask you challenging questions, or to get you to think differently uh, mm -hmm. about how you're approaching something is really kind of how I can help the most um, because you have an outside almost third party opinion or not opinion, but you know, somebody there to help guide you through your thought process and, and help you understand maybe things that you haven't thought about before. What is the biggest roadblock that you see with a lot of men? Uh, it, basically it's that um, their ego, right? Ego. So they ego. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I want to do this because it's going to make me look like this or, you know, um, you know, I want to do this because it'll make me the top of this or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. but ultimately like that, that's not the reason, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is because they, you know, want to do something else or they want to be perceived as something else. So, um, and, and then also, you know, accountability, um, people who don't follow through on things that, you know, they say they're going to do, it's a habit. You continue to develop that habit of not doing things and you never move forward. So getting back into that personal growth. If, if you consistently set goals for yourself, but you never hit them, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're developing this pattern, this habit of, you know, staying in the same spot and never progressing past where you're at. Mm -hmm. So it definitely requires a level of commitment, engagement and performance, right? That's all definitely going to impact how they respond to the coaching, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And engagement is probably the biggest thing is like, I'm not taking notes for you. You're expected to take your own notes. Like I'm not typing mm -hmm. up notes and sending it to me after a session. Like it's, it's all on you. Like I'm going to help guide you. Um, but ultimately like this is, this is on you to take action and, and accountability uh, to get to where you say you want to go. Um, so that, that, that's the biggest thing is 
you know, I, the people that have the most success are the ones that take initiative, you know, mm-hmm. they seek out those people that challenge them um, and then also hold them accountable. Uh, and uh, they, they don't need too much additional coaching outside of the sessions, the one-on-ones, you know, mm-hmm. they're out there doing, they're not just talking. And I see too, that the ones that are most successful, especially for us, when my, me and my wife do our, our marriage uh, coaching or even our father coaching is uh, a level of autonomy. You know what I mean? They don't want to be told what to do, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of guide them and say, hey, this is your choice. You can do this mm-hmm. or this, and this is the outcome if you do this, you know? Right. And once you provide that, those examples to them, then they make a choice, you know, and then mm-hmm. they have that autonomy. They're like, okay, well, I choose to do right or wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So autonomy, yeah. I think, has a, a big, huge play in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask you, going back to your barbecue, brother. Yeah, let's go. What do you think about the three-tube method of smoking ribs? Uh, so the three-two, so the three hours of, you know, unwrapped, uh, mm-hmm. two hours of wraps. You know, uh, I hear the three-two-one method quite a bit around yeah, three, here. Two, so three-two-one, yeah. So, um, so I kind of go both ways. I've done it before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of more of the traditional i'm gonna cook it to temperature not for time so i'll i'll do um until i get that kind of that fall off the bone kind of um texture that i like mm-hmm. um so it, it's not bad i mean if you're just starting it's a guideline right so you know smoke it for three hours you know you wrap it for two hours and then you let it smoke again for another hour unwrapped mm-hmm. um you know it's not a bad i just like to you know kind of Cook more to temperature than time. So what would you suggest the best temperature for, for pork ribs in terms? Yeah. So for like ribs, I mean, if you're looking for fall off the bone type of, you know, you, yeah. you want to get a higher temperature internal. So, I mean, you're looking for like the 190s, you know, to 200. I mean, uh, if you want to fall off the bone, which is kind of what most people are looking for, I'm going for a higher temp like that. And do you let them rest afterwards and stuff like that? Yeah. Usually, usually I'll let them rest, um, you know, Depends if I got a hungry family to feed, you know, maybe five to yeah. 10 minutes, but you know, up to a half hour, you'll, half you'll wrap hour. them up and, and let them rest a little bit. No, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see how you could have found your passion in barbecuing. Like it was therapeutic. Cause um, I remember coming home uh, from being on the road and I would be out there just by myself overlooking the 15 acres behind us, the alfalfa field. And I'd just be in my thoughts, you know, at the time I was drinking. So I'd be yeah. shooting miniatures and makers mark and throw them mm-hmm. over the fence and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, but it was therapeutic, you know, I got to yeah. be alone in my thoughts and stuff like that, you know, doing something like that, you know? And um, in fact, that's how I stopped drinking 16 mm-hmm. years ago as I was really? barbe- barbecuing. And, um, I was, you know, continuously drinking with my maker's mark, throwing them over the fence, little miniatures. So my wife wouldn't find them. And, uh, a neighbor comes right. And he's going to be irrigating that property. Okay. So he walks up to the fence line with two five gallon buckets with with miniatures. Right. And he puts them right at the fence line. Doesn't say anything. And my wife just so happens to come outside and catch me, you know? And uh, she gives me that look like only a wife can give. Yeah. So I walk up to her and I ask her, I'm like, oh, what, you know, what's up? And she's like, hey, I'm not going to tell you that you cannot drink. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. that. 
She's like, you're a grown man. You make your choice. She's like, oh, but are you happy with your, and my daughter was one years old at the time. She's like, are you happy with your daughter growing up and being accustomed to that smell and getting familiar to that smell? And later mm -hmm. on choosing a man based off of that smell. If you're okay with that, I will never tell you anything again. Wow. And that was so profound and it had so much more impact than any church telling me, oh, you cannot drink and all this other stuff mm -hmm. that I stopped that day. Yeah, that's powerful. I got chills when you said that, man. Like that's that's powerful stuff, and um, I can see why you stopped. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, the human brain, man. Once you start putting yeah. in those perspectives, and you start yeah. showing, you know, it's a, even like with your coaching. You know, mm -hmm. once you start giving them choices and showing them outcomes, right, of what could possibly happen. Then you give him that autonomy and freedom to make choices. It wasn't her hounding me and say, Hey, you need to stop. Or I'm going to leave or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I, mm. I know guys that their wives have left them because they chose mm. alcohol and they yes. weren't a bad father. They just were raging alcoholics for lack of better words. Mm. They could not stop. And I mean, mm. I mean, like I said, that these, these guys, I mean, their kids went off and went to MIT and everything like that, but they chose the booze. They could not stop. Yeah. 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 And you know, coming from the military as well, like there's, I mean, the culture is, you know, you play hard or, you know, you work hard, you play harder. Right. So mm -hmm. we come, especially in the Marine Corps, like if we're not training in the field, if we're not overseas in combat, I mean, you know, we're going to be, you know, putting quite a few back in the, in the barracks or out on town. Um, and that unfortunately carries over into, you know, when we're out, right. We don't know when to stop until yeah. it comes to that point where it's too late. Um, or we come to that make or break moment. Um, and, you know, I, I just encourage if, you know, somebody is listening here um, that's transitioning or, you know, having too much. I mean, deep down, you know, you know, you should be stop. You should stop. Um, you know, it's not going to help with your mental health. It's not going to help with your physical, you know, your fitness. Um, you're, you're putting poison into your body. Um, so I would just say, hey, it, maybe it's time to, to, to put the bottle down and, and find something else. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. You got to make that decision. What is important to you? You know, um, I read this book, the problem of pain by CS Lewis. Okay. And I, and I did it during a time in my life where I was going through some major internal pain. Right. And it was part of my reflection, part of my change. Right. And it talked about how the human resistance to change is really the human resistance to pain. Okay. And that's what really stops people from becoming who they're called to be. It's because of that pain. They don't want to face it, you know? So we mask these pains that we have through alcohol, like we're talking about, or through pornography or through drugs or stuff like that. Um, how would you suggest people deal with that uh, as far as like through your neuroscience and stuff like that? You know, do you have any scientific approach to that or? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, it, it, there has to be, like you, like you mentioned, like it's, there's got to come to a point where, the the pain is so much that mm -hmm. the only option is to change um and, and unfortunately you know many people have to hit rock bottom before they get to that place mm -hmm. um and the only approach that i can give to that is that like you have to make that decision nobody's going to be able to make that decision for you um but most people that i i know and i talk to you like they know like they shouldn't be drinking as much as they do um but they're not ready to give it up for mm -hmm. whatever reason the pain isn't great enough for them just yet. Um, but I can tell you from working with other people, like once that pain becomes too great, um, they never go back 
because they, they don't want to go back to that spot. So um, it's, everybody's a little different. There's no kind of one, you know, blanket approach to it. Um, mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that's, that's kind of helped me, um, you know, kind of kick that habit where I was drinking too much and um, is finding other things that fill me up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm heavy into fitness, lifting weights. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love doing jujitsu uh, again, being around other men with a common goal um, you know, those types of things have helped me, um, getting back into the church, um, going back through Bible study, which I've, I've found that a lot of veterans recently have found their way back into church. Um, yeah. so that's been great. Um, there's another bond there that I have, um, and, uh, just find something else to fill that time. Um, cause usually when I, I find, I found myself drinking was when I was bored. Um, mm-hmm. when I was watching TV, you know, it became a habit you know? Um, and then it just continued and spiraled where, you know, kids were in bed, wife was in bed and I was still up drinking. Right. So not a good, not a good spot to be in. Um, no. so finding something else to do, um, for me, it was getting up earlier so I could go to the gym, which means like, I can't drink at night because I'm not going to get up and go then. So, um, having goals and again, me having my own coach to, that holds me accountable, uh, to make sure that I follow through. So, um, those are things that, that have helped me. No, that's, that's perfect. No, I like that. Uh, Thank you, Greg, for that. Now, Greg, uh, we're running out of time here, brother. What would you tell yourself 20 years ago, if you ran into yourself, one thing? That's a great question. Um, If, if I could go back 20 years um, and tell myself something, I would say, Hey man, you're right where you're supposed to be. Um, and I, I truly believe that. I, I think each of us, even right now, we're 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 where we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. and um, and so it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, like a lot of times, we think we're not doing enough. We think we see everybody else having like the stuff that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I if I could go back and just be like, hey man, you're exactly where you need to be. Just keep going. That that would probably what I'd be. That's what I tell myself. Right on. Thank you, Greg. And if you could please just share with our audience how they could reach out to you, um, that'd be great. And we'll have it in the show notes as well. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, I share a lot of stuff um, on my LinkedIn profile. So, you know, Greg Fisher on LinkedIn, but then also, you know, Instagram is a little bit more personal. Um, it's the it's the, the mindset of a Marine. And I'll share that with you all. Um, but those are the, the main spots for like my coaching and stuff. But then if you're interested in, in the barbecue business stuff, um, burnpitbbq.com is where we, we sell our sauces and rubs and all that kind of stuff. And I got to hit you up on that, the sauces and stuff. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get you some. Right on, brother. Thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing what you do to be successful, Greg. Um, I appreciate you and all that you do and your service, brother. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. Absolutely.